Not ready? Too bad. Head back, face forward, and hold on like you mean it! Welcome to Review Time's Theme Podcast, a weekly podcast where we explore the ins and outs of attractions and theme parks from around the world. My name is Dom and I will be your host today as we explore Warner Brothers Movie World and its surprisingly interesting history. Like how it was designed by somebody who helped design Disneyland, how it broke many Australian records for theme parks and attractions at the time, and how it slowly changed over the years to adjust to Hollywood. But before we get stuck into it, I need to introduce the man whose shining moment in Hollywood was playing a staple character in The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe as the titular character, The Wardrobe. Snubbed of an Oscar, everyone agreed that he played a very convincing piece of furniture. It's Review Time's co-host, Mr. Luke Carroll. Oh, we didn't talk about my second biggest role in Pirates of the Caribbean, where oh. I played the Caribbean. Oh, how could you forget? <laughs> how it's, could you forget? It's I did in win an the Oscar title. For that. uh, That's so, true. You yeah, got yeah. best location. Yeah, they filmed it like you know. They just sort of had your belly up to the they screen. Painted they painted it blue. Yeah, you and know, then they just put a the lot boats of, like, on it. Sticks they were poking it with that were green, <laughs> so they could paint them out in post production. Whenever you see I an know, island, it's movie magic. You just kind of lay back and let it happen. You know, at least yeah, that's what they told me. You just rock up, and then they just make it happen around you. Yeah, but speaking of movie <laughs> what magic, an <laughs> we're, we're talking about the mu- movie magic of Hollywood on Let's the talk Gold about Coast an absurd theme park. Yeah, it's it's. Probably, it's not something that you expect, like when you think about, you know, theme parks, Australia for some reason just has one entirely dedicated to- It's something you expect for the time. Let's say that. If theme parks and the 90s could be linked together in one phrase, it's studio theme parks. (laughs) Because every company went, hey, you know, Disney, they've been doing their thing for 40 years, but it's so expensive, you know? You have to build all this theming and then the, you know, the late 80s and the 90s came around and they just went, but what if you didn't have to do that? That would be a lot cheaper. It was also a perfect opportunity where it's like, you know, the blockbuster hit started coming out and movies were just being received genuinely more well than they were in the past. Like movies just over time started to snowball and it was a perfect opportunity for them to go, well, what if you watched the movie and then experienced the movie ride? Yeah. But it's it's actually- This was a true studio theme park too. That's the good thing. It wasn't a fake one. This was a real studio theme park. The theme park was built next to the studio. They didn't build a fake studio or do a Disney Studios Paris where there was no studio in the first place. There was no studio after it opened either. Well, that's the crazy thing about uh, Warner Brothers Movie World is that when you look into the history, it's almost like it, it was it was a studio first, definitely. And then they made a theme park around it. So mm. it's more similar to, say, your Universal Studios Hollywood, because this did used to have a studio tour back in Which the day. Which I think is the only other... I think those are the two true studio theme parks out there. The rest have been built either with the studio at the same time or fake studios like uh, Paris. Only hmm. difference with this one now compared to Hollywood now is there is no direct connection between the two. There's no yeah, attraction they're, they're that completely lets you separate. experience them. They just happen to be neighbours, essentially. Yeah. 
they're they're divided by a top golf. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> if you if you walk from I'd movie go the world, top golf than the studio. Let's be honest here. Ah, oh, look, well, they're filming a lot of big things there at the moment, thanks to COVID. Um, pretty much everyone's going, let's film in Australia because Australia's yeah. doing well. Well, did but, you uh, see that uh, Thor's filming in Sydney at the moment? And they just keep being like, oh, by the way, this person's in it. This person's in it. This yeah. person. The cast list keeps getting bigger. And I swear it's just all the big Hollywood names are like, I wouldn't mind escaping America for a couple of months till all this blows over. Got any jobs for me in Australia? <laughs> it's just like the cast. It's like the third run of the Avengers. It's just there's like <laughs> yeah. 80 A-list actors and they're all mm-hmm. just all on screen at once. Like not really even do anything. They're just like, oh, yeah, you know, don't even <laughs> pay me for this film. I'll just be in it. You know that that scene in the final Avengers film where, you know, all the ships are coming from into space, you know? (laughs) The assemble scene. But they're just huge name actors that are a speck on the screen. Like, oh, (laughs) over there? That's the world's biggest actor. You wouldn't know it, but he came to Australia and got paid $50 million just to stand in that shot. I love that you couldn't name a famous actor. Then you're like, that's the no, world's most famous, of a, famous actor. A famous actor who wasn't in a Marvel film. And oh, that, that's what stumped me. Yeah. Like Tom I, Cruise, maybe? Yeah. Yeah. I, I just, does he work with Disney? I don't think he does. Uh, and for I, a Marvel size paycheck, anyone will work with Disney. And if you don't work with Disney anymore, you pretty got, uh, pretty much got no. You've pretty much got no choices in Hollywood anymore. <laughs> you can't work pretty with much. Fox, can't work with uh, Disney, Pixar, Marvel, Star Wars. What's left? But they're not NBC a monopoly. No no, 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 not yet. <laughs> because of that little pesky Universal who doesn't want to give them the rest of those studio rights to Marvel theme park attractions. Oh, man. Imagine if Disney bought Universal. That would be the day. That would be a monopoly. (laughs) (laughs) Or top hat, monocle and moustache. That's a peak monopoly, man. (laughs) They'd be buddy rolling out the paper uh, money. (laughs) Yeah, just rolling the dice. It's their world now. Uh, So we're talking about Warner Brothers movie world. Luke, when was the last time you went to movie world? Uh, When we slammed it. After its oh, reopening last when year. When we severely damaged our relationships with yeah, the park. <laughs> uh, so that was July, I think, last year. We were there yeah. for the reopening, the day that the park reopened after its COVID shutdown for a few months. And we were there to see what it was like. Unfortunately, it's one of the weaker trips we've ever had to Movie World. Understandable. Yeah. Not everything's going to be ready, but just some of the... Interactions we had with people, interactions, guests, cast members, expectations, stuff like that. It's still a good park. It's still got some of the best rides in Australia easily. Yeah. I always, it's the one park I go to pretty much every time I go to the Gold Coast. So just because that was a negative video doesn't mean anything for the bigger picture of whether we like this park or not. I think the takeaway from that and what we're talking about is we did a video back in July last year when the theme parks reopened. At this point, COVID was pretty much under control in Australia. It never massively outbroke. We sort of had a couple, like at its peak, we maybe had a couple hundred cases a day. We're still getting them, but... Um, But at that point... You know, things were starting to reopen. We were getting more comfortable with the idea of going out. And the problem that we had with Movie World reopening is that it sort of felt like they had reopened the park 
first and then considered about what they needed to have ready to go as if they just yeah. sort of did the bare essential to get the park open. Um, and look, you know how I get some it. of the you- US parks have opened for their like food festivals and stuff like that with no rides. That's almost what it felt like, except they said rides would be open. There was about one major attraction open the day we were there. Mm. And in saying that, we basically just said that we didn't believe that it was worthwhile for people to do Mm. a a big trip out to the Gold Coast. Because I think a lot of people were going, yes, the theme parks are open. Um, Let's go, go on a trip. And we were sort of just like, look, hold off until everything gets under control. And that's um, the thing. We're interstate travellers. We, you know, if you had an annual pass and you got, you could go every few weeks or every month, sure, it'd be worth the visit. Mm. But for someone like us who we're lucky that we probably get to visit once a year just because of this, because of review yeah. time. But most normal people, probably every five years, I would say, if you got a family, you might take a trip to the Gold Coast. And if it was your once in your five year trip, definitely hold off and we're still seeing the the pains of that now where even in this school holidays most of the major gold coast theme parks still have large major rides closed at the moment when usually this time of year the april school holidays they're all guns blazing everything's open everything's ready to go yeah it's a pretty wild time just because there's no real consistent schedule anymore i think i've heard the um the you know there is no normal at this stage, because yeah. it's just that thing where everything's been thrown out um, yeah. because of the Pushed closures. Back. So it's, hard, it's still difficult to get some things into Australia, components, if you're trying to do maintenance and those sort of things, which we understand. It's also that thing where it's like, I would say that now it's perfectly fine to go and you'll have an awesome time. Um, yeah. That's, that's with nothing, DreamWorld like and all that. Two things, kind of two major things I would say closed at the moment. One of them we don't really care for anyway. Um, <laughs> so, What's that? Uh, Doomsday Destroyer. Oh, yeah. Which the I'm only sure reason for that, it, it's just, to- yeah. We'll, we'll talk yeah. about that a little bit later. Yeah, th- that'll be the two hours into the show at well, this rate. The, the do we speed wanna, we're going through. <laughs> do we want to jump into the time machine and make yeah. our way back to are 1986? Where are we, Luke? In our mother's eyes. Ooh, I'm walking around. I'm walking around old Gold Coast. Everyone's wearing chinos and have mullets. <laughs> chinos, polo be shirts. Those, those, you know those real bright floral shorts that kind of like went out and are now kind of back in. Look, I think at this stage I've just accepted that if I go back in time, just wherever I go, there's <laughs> going to be dads in chinos and chinos. polo shirts. <laughs> it's the just- constant in life, everywhere in the world. Any time period, as long as it's after the 1920s, where shorts weren't allowed, chinos. That's what it's going to be. Exactly. It's it's just, it's the natural way mm. of things. Of course. But, but let's talk about a little bit before Movie World actually opens, because there's, there's a little bit of history here. So, pretty much Hollywood had an interest in the Australian film industry, which grew rapidly during the 1980s. Um, Italian-American film producer Dino De Laurentiis, which I think I've said wrong, um, he visited the country <laughs> in 1986. Probably when he had worked Dino, on- maybe? Dino, maybe? Dino is a bit of an Aussie Dino, way to Dino say Dino De Laurentiis. Yeah, sorry. That was a very D- Aussie way to say <laughs> Apologies to Mr. De Laurentiis, but... (laughs) Sorry, apologies. Um, But he had worked on a couple of Australian films, um, 
And he, he just sort of generally wanted to, sorry, he didn't personally work on Australian films, but he wanted to work with people who had, and he noted sort of the industry buzz that came from Crocodile Dundee. Because yeah, there was just that- this weird sort of thing that came out of it where everyone was like, oh, Australia is very foreign and different. Um, yeah. And then this was around, you know, Mad Max had been made only, you know, a few years earlier and stuff like that. But I feel Crocodile Dundee was very much the look at Australia, where it's like, yeah, Mm. Mad Max was made here, but Crocodile Dundee was kind of almost like, oh, look at this exotic place, Australia. (laughs) Look at how people live in Australia. Except for when most people come over here, they realise that it's just (laughs) kind of like Wait, you live in an apartment? (laughs) In a city? What's a city? I didn't know they existed over here. Where's kangaroos? It was crazy when I was living in Hong Kong and people were like, wait, you live in a house? You must be rich. Yeah. And it's like, no, Australia is just really spread out. So we got thankfully, so much land. Houses are expensive, but not if you want to live near anything. Hey, if you're happy yeah. to live in the middle of nowhere, like unlike Hong me. Kong, there is no <laughs> middle of nowhere. Yeah. It's all like you're always at least 30 minutes away from Disneyland. Yeah. That's the constant. You live <laughs> over one half, you're 30 minutes away. You live over the other half, you're 30 minutes away. That's all we know about geography as well. The the countries and cities that have theme parks. If you get like a map of the world, there's no countries laid out. There's just a flat white background with flags wherever there's a theme park. That's all we need to know. <laughs> Look, why would you care about countries like Uganda? That don't have theme parks. So now I'm going to look up Ugandan oh, theme parks. RCDB. Wait. Uh, oh, Wonderworld sure Amusement Park. Oh, there's actually Wonder- a couple. Oh, my gosh. Kids World Water Park. This is Water when we learn that, you know, Uganda has more theme parks than Australia. Uh, it does. Like, oh. Um, oh. Well, just in Kampala, which I think uh, is the capital of Uganda. Yes, it is. Um, well, welcome to Review it, Times Geography Podcast. <laughs> we learn like something new every day. I didn't want to offend someone who's listening from Uganda and like, we have a bloody theme park. What are these guys talking about? <laughs> as as I've always Australian, said. Where it's like, oh, theme parks. Oh, those are only in one part of the country. I'll, I'll always stand by my philosophy that Review Time is always 90% correct. <laughs> and the other 10% is just, I don't even know. Sometimes we just like make silly mistakes. Like I released a video on Shanghai Disneyland this week and I was just like, oh, surely if I put in 1991 or it was like 1989 or something like that yeah. into Google Translate, that it would just translate it into its actual numbering. No, it was completely no. wrong. And within like 10 minutes of the video coming up, someone was like, ah, oh, that's wrong. They're very respectful about it. never played the uh, the double translate game on Google Translate <laughs> where you put something in, translate it, and then translate it back and just see how far off it has well, become in just one translation cycle. Well, I think I did sort of reverse translate it, but then I guess it's sort of got to do with that thing where it's like, it's technically correct. Yeah, but it's but not. It's not how we say it. Yeah, yeah. So, which I get. It's like that yeah. thing where you know, you can definitely tell someone who English is their second language because they just sort of say things in an interesting way, um, and sort of include some words and exclude others, which is all correct. But it's just not 
natural. And that's, I guess, the understanding of language. But getting our, our way <laughs> oh, back language to- Language podcast, uh, geography podcast. <laughs> We're covering all bases. History as always, but- This is Review Times Theme Park Geography um, <laughs> Demographics and Analytics Podcast. Welcome aboard. Don't <laughs> <laughs> you only need to listen to one podcast all week. We'll cover all bases. Now, thankfully, so D. Laurentis, uh, which I'm just going to continue to say his name wrong. Um, I've got call it. He's got a company Lauren, name there. Dell. Laurentis. So, D-E-L, yes. Not D-E-L-L. That's a different company. <laughs> D. Laurentis Entertainment Limited. Dell. Dell. So, he made this company uh, and he commissioned and constructed a film studio in Oxenford. And, oh, ooh, a little sneak mm. preview. What's at Oxenford now, Luke? Hmm. Uh, the Australian Outback Spectacular? And Top Golf. <laughs> the only two things I know about. <laughs> Which, uh, for context, uh, Oxenford is near Surface Paradise on the Gold Coast, Queensland. So that's a, a little sneak preview as ooh, to what's ooh, to come. Ooh, ooh. If you haven't pieced together or even just <laughs> looked at the title of this podcast, um, if you're just tuning in, which you can't. This every week. <laughs> I'm going to tune in for the first time and skip to 15 minutes into the show. What are they talking about? What if they play it review time on the radio in Uganda? We don't know. Oh, no maybe. one would ever tell us. We're not getting any licensing for that, so. Oh, our lawyers will be on to them. <laughs> Watch out. Our crack legal team that consists of Dom being angry. <laughs> and so me this- just going, yeah, that sounds angry enough. Yeah, that, that looks good. Um, so, the studio was to produce the action film Total Recall, and it was going to go in these film studios. Oh, Arnie special. Yeah. Um, was the time when Arnie was the biggest actor in Hollywood, even though he can't act any better than a plank of wood in that movie. <laughs> well, there was this weird period where, like, the men of Hollywood- Yeah, the big, was buff, burly- was Arnold Schwarzenegger and Steven Stagall. And apparently they, like, hated Seagull. each other. Oh, Seagull? Steven Seagull? Stagall? There's no T. What? There's no My- T. <laughs> what? Also, C- the, Rocky ba- the Rocky guy, who's he was a big around the same time, wasn't he? Oh, the, guy's like, you- the guy from Spy Kids? Adrian, that guy. Apparently, the, if you, you were just buff <laughs> enough, it didn't matter if you spoke with an accent that was barely understandable. Yeah, the guy from Spy Kids. Spy Kids 3D. <laughs> yep, that's his number one credited role. <laughs> Spy Kids 3D with the red and blue glasses. Game over. Was that game over or was that, that a different was, one? That uh, was, with a, yeah. a high quality rating of uh, 45 on Rotten Tomatoes. <laughs> uh, Sylvester Stallone. That's him. He's like, oh, 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 oh. Have you seen Total Recall as well? What if we're a movie podcast now? Total, have you seen it? No. Oh, okay. Oh, it's wait, weird. is this the one where it's um, they recently did a reboot of it? Yeah, I didn't see the reboot. No, I watched it on a plane and it was really boring and I fell asleep. Um, <laughs> so, I watched same, about the first like, 10 minutes. Um, it's about this company that can implant fake memories of this, like, exciting holiday that you take. It's essentially like cyber tourism. Though. Yeah. And it really feels real. And the whole thing is like, ooh, was it real? Wasn't it real? He goes to, like, yes, yeah. Mars. And I'm pretty sure there's a woman with three breasts. Oh, And I there's remember also, watching it in school. There's also, like, a fat lady who her head opens. 
it's like it splits open into parts. Or no, oh, yeah. um, Ar- Arnold Schwarzenegger takes off the head of a fat lady um, and becomes that someone like else. He could also have taken part in Men in Black and could have fit <laughs> perfectly well into either universe. Look, maybe they're the same universe. We'll, ooh, we'll never know. Ooh, we'll never know. But basically, um, after finances were jeopardized by several box office bombs under Dell, um, such as Million Dollar Mystery, which I've never heard of, which yeah, I guess is understandable. Is, what the hell is that film? Because I've never <laughs> heard of it. Well, it was a box office bomb. So that's probably, that's probably why. why, because it came out before we were born. Yeah. Um, well, De Laurentiis ended up uh, bailing Dell uh, in December of 1987, and he pretty much just went not nah, called it quits, and production Your on problem. Total Recall halted, and 3.4 million dollars worth of studio sets were dismantled. So they pretty much oh. just up and left out of Australia. Huh. Wonder where it did end up getting filmed instead. Probably went Probably back to Hollywood. Hollywood. <laughs> Hollywood on the Gold Coast. Um, <laughs> But then Village Roadshow, which they also have a pretty unique history, which I'll get into soon. But Village Roadshow sort of step out of the blue and they're like, hey, buddy, old pal, um, we've got a partnership <laughs> with Warner Brothers. Buildings there. Yeah, let's let's just uh, buy Dell. They just bought them in its entirety. And as part of that, they got the studios. And that happened in 1988. Good deal. Um, So, they opened Warner Brothers Roadshow Studios, which is now known as Village Roadshow Studios. Hmm. They did that in July of 1988. But Village Roadshow is sort of like, this is an Australian brand that a lot of people know, I think, mainly from the VHS era. Because when you would watch a vision, that's the big thing. The rake, the famous VRTP rake. That's what their (laughs) logo is. Um, but yeah, why? I remember it. <laughs> it's just know. a lot of V's. I don't know I what think. it actually is meant to represent, but as a rake, it looks like the head of a rake. Um, but it's true. Yeah, I remember it from you know those when pretty much any VHS you would watch as a kid was distributed in Australia by them, and it always and it like, started with yeah, and like the V's would fly in. I, yeah, sure. I, I remember Village Roadshow. I'm not sure if they were super big outside of Australia. Mm. Um, if you're from outside of Australia and you know a Village Roadshow, that little ditty that we just, that little ding, 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 we just sung. If that, you know, unlocked a memory from your childhood because <laughs> it was that spot on, let us know. Oh, it's like, you know, the PS2 startup sound. <laughs> 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 um, so, Village Roadshow actually started out as Village Drive-Ins, um, which then changed wow, that's, to that's Village- dating it. Oh, yeah. This is in 1954. Yeah. So, they went all the way back um, with didn't Rock they have Flintstones Kirby. cars back then? I can't imagine. That. Oh, they, didn't e- they didn't even have cars, Luke. They hadn't even gone to the <laughs> The moon. drive-in was on your trike. You just rode your little push trike up to and sat in that for the show. All they had in those days was black and white television and world wars. So, it's... (laughs) (laughs) I chose the worst moment to take a drink. Well, um... That's wow. uh, look. I'll leave you up to uh, when you're editing this. Whether you want to cut that <laughs> one out, stay. Ooh, <laughs> mystery. Let's Ooh. find out. 
But this was in 1954. Uh, Rock Kirby, he began running these drive-in cinemas and he opened up one in Melbourne in the suburb of Croydon. Now, in the 60s, the company expanded to start its own film distribution business. Um, it was like a 50-50 joint venture with Greater Union, but then it became its oh, own Greater thing. Greater Union? Haven't heard that name. Did, is that They became event cinemas, I think? I believe so. Yeah. Um, and they also did film production in the 1970s. So at this point, they had sort of just grown from being yeah. drive-in cinemas All to now film, being- pretty much. Yeah, yeah they're, they're a film production company, um, which is a weird segue to move into theme parks, um, <laughs> but they'll get there eventually. So the original uh, cinema chain became one of several businesses that they were involved in. And in 1980, Village Roadshow was one of the leading forces in the multiplex cinema complexes. Like they had a lot of innovations that just- weren't part of Australia at the time. Uh, part of that was stadium style seating. So actually mm. tiering it so that everyone sort of had a front view. Sophisticated sound systems is something that they brought in. So I believe that they were working sort of with a, you know, Dolby and all that to, to make sure that everything was very good. And they also had the latest in projection technologies. I think it blows my mind that, you know, for now, it's like we take it for granted. It's like, oh, you just go to your local cinema. Yeah, it's going to have like 10 screens all showing different stuff at different times. Where back then it'd be like one or two, if you were lucky, screens at a cinema. And you just, you know, once a day they might show a film. Where now Blockbuster's shown 20 times a day. Well, the city that we're from... Newcastle in Australia, it has a really old cinema. The um, the old, I think it was called Castle Cinemas or something like that. It was right in the middle of the city, but they were yeah. very old. Um, and you go a in tower there. Tower cinemas? Tower cinemas, that's it. Um, and basically, you sit on a flat level. So, yeah. everyone sits on the same level and the screen's sort of like really high up. Slightly high. It's more like an, an old style theatre where the tiering is so minuscule. And mm. if somebody tall sits in front of you, too bad, essentially. Where, yeah, this they brought in this stadium style, which is pretty much what everyone has now, where you can always see over the seat in front. The seats are taller than anyone mm. and you can see over the seat. So there's no issue. Well, nowadays it's sort of like cinemas are less about like, I feel that there was a period where it was, Cinemas was just about getting as many people in as possible yeah. and seeing a movie. Whereas now it's sort of like going to the cinema is an experience. Yeah. You, know, you have Which your- I, I, I was looking just earlier today. I was like, I uh, don't know what to do today. It's a public holiday. Let's see what's on at the movies. And I saw something was on and I was like, it was Kong versus whatever, this, Godzilla. And I was like, I wonder what tickets are nowadays cost for that. To see it in like the luxury class- $45 a ticket. Whoa. To see two monsters punch each other for two hours. I'm seeing Frozen the Musical in Sydney for yeah. $10 more than that. Yeah. Like, <laughs> for a Broadway style yeah. Yeah, production. Where they have to actually pay actors and, you know, sound tech, all that sort of stuff. And to rent the theatre, not just press play. And then whatever the licensing fee to Universal or whoever owns that is. The interesting thing as well is that people are willing to pay more the to essentially like to not even get anything more. You So you get the reclining seats now, but you are paying for the premium, which is essentially just you get access to a bar and they yeah. might <laughs> deliver something to you at some point. Yeah. But it's like you are paying. You pay a $20 extra just for the chance to have a beer. 
which yeah. might be one of the most Australian things of all time. You're not paying $20 extra to get a beer, but you're paying $20 extra for the opportunity to buy overpriced cinema beer. <laughs> it's When you sit back and think about it, it doesn't yeah. really make sense. It's like, yeah. it, it's one of those interesting things where they've managed to make it look like it's better value than it actually is. But yeah. anyway, back onto Movie World, because we're like now 30 minutes there. in. We're getting to and the we, we haven't even talked about the park yet. <laughs> So, at this point, Village Roadshow is sort of like a monster in the film and cinema Mm. industry. Um, And that's a perfect opportunity for them to come in and take over Dell. They end up, you know, getting their Oxford, Oxenford area and they now have studios. In October of 1988, they acquire a large lot of swampy land adjacent to the studio complex from the investment company Ardain Australia. Uh, who were crippled in the 1987 Black Monday stock market crash. Basically, they got a deal. They got this huge yeah. pot of land and they got it's swamp land. So you can imagine what the best thing to put on swamp land is. What do you usually put on swamp land, Luke? Well, if you're following in the footsteps of Disney and what they did in Florida, a theme park. And damn right, that's what they did. So the following (laughs) month, Village uh, persuaded Warner to acquire 50% of the studio and announced that a theme park provisionally named Warner World was to be built on the recently acquired land. So this is where Movie World actually starts to come in. I I usually aren't... I'm a fan of a more exciting name than Warner Brothers Movie World. It's very generic. But I don't know. I kind of like Warner Brothers Movie World. I like I it a really lot more like, than Warner World. I like Warner Brothers Movie World. I think it has a ring to it. Yeah, it's, it's the way sort it of... rolls off the tongue. Even though there's about two attractions now that are based on actual films <laughs> and not just general ideas of DC Comics characters. But Warner Brothers Movie World, it just rolls nicely. I hear this criticism a lot. Where I I say the same thing. I'm like, not much is really based on films anymore or movies. And then people turn around and they say, well, that's not the point. Warner Brothers hasn't, uh, Warner Brothers Movie World hasn't been dedicated to movies in a very long time. And I'm like, it's in the name. Like, it it literally (laughs) says Warner Brothers Movie World, Hollywood on the Gold Coast as you drive in. I'm surprised they didn't. What was Disney going to change Hollywood Studios to? Disney XL Park. Where's yeah. Warner Brothers XL Park? <laughs> Warner Brothers Kaleidoscope Park was, uh, <laughs> I think they were wanting to call Hollywood Studios Kaleidoscope Park or something like that. Yeah, and then was there was also XL Park, Kaleidoscope Park, Cinemagic Park, something like that. They wanted to change it from Hollywood Studios to Hollywood Adventure Park as well. Yeah. Which and I think was kind like, of works. Eh, it kind of works. It's, it's got movies, at least. Yeah, it, it's kind of, it's, yeah, it's a studio in the fantastical sense. <laughs> um, but basically, at this point, so Movie World's starting to become a thing. It's, mm. it's sort of getting its legs, it's wanting to do a run around. Um, but in July of 1989, the two companies enter a joint venture so Warner Brothers and Village Roadshow to develop the park with Pivot Leisure. Now, Pivot Leisure at this point, you know, we think of Village Roadshow theme parks as Wet and Wild, SeaWorld mm. and Movie World. But at this point, SeaWorld was just doing its own thing. Yeah. Uh, so they were a local marine mammal park. They weren't even sort of dedicated to rights at that point. Yep. Um, a lot of people say, I think there's a couple of rides at this point because a lot of people say SeaWorld is Australia's first theme park. 
can't remember what the first ride they put in, but it was like, there it is. That's it. It's official now. Sort mm. of thing. Apart from, you know, the, this next generation, not your lunar parks and stuff like that, which are more the fun fair amusement park style. But a lot of people will say SeaWorld is kind of where this idea of a more themed theme park atmosphere came from. SeaWorld is also one of those parks where if you look in the history, it's like, it started as gardens and now yeah. it's then a theme park. Then they got one fish and now they <laughs> and have now 50 they, they make fish. multiple million dollars a year. <laughs> so basically at this point they get in, well, it, it's hard to explain because it's sort of, a lot of people are involved with Movie World at this point. So yeah. Warner Brothers and Village uh, with... The joint venture with Pivot. So mm. Warner Brothers and Village have one half, Pivot have the other half, but Pivot are also part owners in SeaWorld and SeaWorld is partially owned by someone. So it's just a mess of companies <laughs> at the moment just sort of putting their fingers in Pooling the pie. their money to buy a lottery ticket. Yeah, pretty much. Because at yeah. this point, Australia didn't have many theme parks and the no. ones they did have were a bit poo. <laughs> Except I think was Wonderland around at this point? I don't think it was. Um Actually yeah, I think Wonderland's at eighty eight. Eighty eight. So it? it would have just yeah. opened. Which yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if Wonderland sort of spurred on the construction of Movie World if they were oh, like it's hey, eighty five, sorry. Luke! Wow! <laughs> you agreed. I just threw a number to the wind <laughs> and you agreed. And I was, I was like, Oh, that was a good guess. Wow. I will not stand up for th- you bullied me into saying that no one can see it but as he said 88 he held up a knife right in the right. webcam <laughs> he said i will harm you if you say anything else and make me look bad please help but they get they end up bringing in now this is a pretty big name and not many people know this but american designer cv wood was commissioned. Can we please use his full name out of respect? Because it might be the greatest name of all time, the greatest American name of all time, Cornelius Vanderbilt Wood. <laughs> no wonder it's hyphenated. <laughs> because you can't put his name on a letter or it runs out of space. You have okay, to go so the next line. American designer Cornelius Vanderbilt Wood was commissioned that year to, de- to design the park. So, he had six park designs in his portfolio at his time. He had Six Flags Over Texas. He had Disneyland. Like, this is the guy that Walt Disney pretty much personally told to F off. Yeah, (laughs) pretty much. He was brought on. He was a very big name at Disney, too. He was the chief developer of Disneyland. And you can occasionally find pictures of him. But he's been, like, stripped from the Disney records. There's some rumours of what went on behind the scenes. Bob Gurr, Imagineer Bob Gurr, says some not very nice things about him. Um, but from what I've heard, it's one of, like, the only people Walt, like, fired straight out. Like, essentially was like, I never want to see you again. <laughs> the general gist of what I can get at is that basically Walt always saw himself as the top dog. Yeah. And because Cornelius was so involved with Disneyland, he sort of saw himself on the same level. And I think yeah. Walt was like, no, I'm the visionary. I came up with this. You cannot consider you yourself on the I same say. level as yeah. me. And um, because when he split off, he created his own company and billed himself as the planner of Disneyland. 
Damn right. Like essentially you? saying, I did everything. <laughs> Look at me. Come and hire me. And that's how he ended up working with those other companies mm. to build six theme parks. So he, um, apart from Six Flags Over Texas and Disneyland, he had also worked on a couple of other parks and he modeled Movie World's layout on Universal Studios Hollywood and Disney MGM Studios. Now he says that, but I don't know because no. <laughs> both of those aren't really a single street and that's it. <laughs> well, that's the interesting thing is that if you look at the layout of Movie World, it's the weirdest layout that you can think of. It's basically a crescent moon with a growth. <laughs> yeah. It's like a one-way street pretty much 90% of the way through the park. And then like, it has a kid's land get to the coming end. off. Yeah. And then you walk directly back the way you came. It's, it's kind of weird in that sense that I've never been to a park like this mm. in that you can't sort of just like walk to different lands. You literally have to walk through lands to get back. It's very uh, reminiscent it's, of, you know, more a lunar park or a, a boardwalk yeah. style theme park where it's one straight way through. Which is interesting because this park was built from scratch on its own land. So yeah. it's like, why why did they need to Not build just it this way? have a few more connections, you know? <laughs> well, look, it was designed with its layout sort of being inspired off Universal Studios Hollywood, which has yep. the world's worst theme park layout. So it's understandable. <laughs> hey, don't you dare be disrespectful to the Star Evader or Starcade or whatever the, Star- the <laughs> escalator is that will take about half your day. Look, you have to just add two days to your park <laughs> trip to the ensure that you have enough time. Is it's a half day down to the bottom lot and then another half day back up. They actually only sell the park tickets uh, in two-day lots, and then they give you a free <laughs> hotel, which is they just give you a pillow as you go onto the Starcade, <laughs> and you just rest. And by the time you wake up in the morning, you're down the bottom of the park. For those that don't <laughs> know, Hollywood uh, Universal Studios Hollywood is in two sections. There's Literally a part on the, the top Hollywood of the hills. hills and yeah. part, well, part of the hill uh, park is built on top of the hill, and the other path is built on the bottom of the hill. And it's like the world's most complicated escalator system or something like that. It's it sort of like it takes legitimately about 10 to 15 minutes long- to get down. Like, it was the longest escalator system in the world or something at one point, even though it's like four different elevators. I mm. don't know. But I always remember the you're now riding on the Universal Star Escalator or whatever it's called. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> so... Movie World, back to Movie World, it was scaled to let up to 13,000 guests visit all attractions in a single day, even during peak periods. I don't think the ever hit that number, but anyway, let's keep going. They released, I remember a couple of years ago, a capacity record for Movie World during, I think it was either New Year's or Christmas Day, which was 11,000. So... Yeah, no, it was... Um, wasn't it when DC Rivals opened? Maybe that increased it more, but I remember there was, it was like during the peak holiday season, they were, had a press release and it's like, Movie World breaks attendance record. Uh, but yeah. original- so, this is, so on, in September, the busiest day was 11,500 visitors after the opening. The largest day ever single attendance day in September. That was in 2017. Uh, September in Australia is a school holiday period. 
are probably, I would say, the best school holidays to visit the Gold Coast because it's not too hot yet. Yeah, it's not it's full like, summer. It's spring. Yeah, I, it definitely does get busier, though, in the Christmas holiday break. Yeah. So, basically, at this point as well, if you look at the original opening of Warner Brothers Movie World, there's not much there. We'll, <laughs> we'll look at a map from 1995 and we'll put it up on the Twitter afterwards, but we'll go through sort of what the opening day attractions were. And there aren't that much. So, considering yeah. that now the park... You know, sees 11,000 people and that's record breaking. I do not want to see what this park would have been like with 13,000 people on opening. But no. construction took about 16 months and relied on labor from local work, uh, workers as much as possible. And it costs an estimated 120 to $140 million to build, of which Pivot uh, Entertainment or Pivot Leisure contributed about $30 million, which is quite a lot. Like, when you think about it, like, what was it? DCA, Disney's California Adventure. That was about 500 million. Uh, Yeah. US dollars in 2001. So, Mm. I think just building things in Australia is quite expensive. So, this was a solid effort. Um, And also, Movie World, when it opened, was really big on making sure that even though it didn't have many attractions, what they did have were all of these high quality, sort of -of state-of-the-art, world-class, big intense things so it 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 made sense that it cost this much so the opening ceremony of the park was held on the 2nd of june 1991 and was attended by more than 5,000 people with among those being celebrities such as clint eastwood mel gibson goldie horn who i don't know who that is and kurt russell (laughs) do you know who goldie horn is it was just on wikipedia (laughs) i just sort of it it specified who it was like a bit of a you know like a a starlet of the time, like, you know, like, like a young, beautiful. Oh, um, wait, it's Kurt. Like a Marilyn Russell's, Monroe type. It's Kurt Russell's wife. Oh, that makes sense. Why he was there as well. Yeah. <laughs> she was in such films as Overboard, The First Wives Club, Death Becomes Her and Bird on a Wire. I don't think I've seen any of those films. They all came out except for First Wife Club. Before you were born. So, unfortunately, she suffered from that really tragic time in Hollywood where it's like, you're a woman over 30? Get out of here. Yeah, you can't Which play is any roles. Still a problem to this day yeah. with elderly uh, sort of older women in Hollywood where they sort of feel like the moment that you hit any point where you look like you're aging, they basically tell you to get out because, unfortunately, Hollywood is built on a lot of sex appeal. Um, And is not a generally nice place. Um, You only have to tune into Hollywood news every now and then to realize that it's it's not as glamorous as it is. Like, if you also want to get a good depiction of what Hollywood is like, you know, a lot of people think of it as like, hooray for Hollywood, (laughs) all the buildings (laughs) are lined (laughs) with gold and everything's really nice. Just like pick anywhere in Hollywood off Sunset Boulevard, like just pick an alley or something and just... Plop yourself down oh, in Google, Google Street, yeah. and it's just like, ugh. <laughs> it's just- Anytime it's, you, I go to LA with people who've never been there before, they're like, oh, well, you know, we'll be at Disneyland. And they'll be like, oh, I really want to go see LA. I really want to go see Hollywood, you know, the Grauman's Chinese Theatre. And you're like, oh, it's a bit of a drive from Disney. It's not. I don't think it's worth it. And they're like, no, <laughs> we have to do it. We're in LA. 
And you'd, so you drive over there, you get there, you walk around, you know, Grauman's Chinese Theatre, you get heckled by a guy dressed as Almo who's got his head fallen off. He's like yelling <laughs> at you to give him money. Who just you finished about beating up Elsa. <laughs> yeah. You walk about three steps away from Grauman's Chinese Theatre and it's like a dingy back alley. It's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. I, I've done a couple of weeks of work at Hollywood. Uh, I don't think I've ever... I think I've mentioned it a couple of times on the podcast yeah. where I worked on the Hollywood backlot at Universal Studios. But in terms of how Hollywood is, it's just a weird place. And it's really yeah. dodgy. It's a really... And even nowadays, they're not making tons of movies there anymore because a lot of states, especially around the US and even here in Australia... The governments are giving big tax breaks to film there. So, I would say it's more expensive to film in Hollywood nowadays than it is to film pretty much anywhere else. A majority of A-list movies nowadays are filmed in places like Georgia. They're filmed in, yeah. uh, I believe, a lot of films are now done in South Australia and Queensland in Australia. Yeah. Which is pretty like crazy to think about. But, yeah, films... It aren't glamorous, but movie world is. Uh, whoa, did you like <laughs> this that? This is Hollywood. This is Hollywood on the Gold Coast. And nothing's more glamorous than the GC. So the park ended up opening the next day on 3rd of June, 1991. Between 400 and 500 jobs were created upon its opening, which is pretty good. Uh, mm. It's not as good as Walt Disney World's 50,000, but I guess it's a start. 75 now, I think it is. Well, no, not with no CPs. It was, shall we say. Yeah. I don't know what it would be now. Isn't it like 50,000 permanent staff or something like that? Uh, not sure. Oh. <laughs> Good chat. So, <laughs> I'm not going to say so, anything or I'll get blasted like when I said no, Wonderland opened in 88 instead of 85. Remember, the general gist is review time is right 90% of the time. <laughs> uh, the initial guest admission, uh, this is pretty cheap for 1991. It was $30 for an adult or $19 mm. for a child. So if you just said that you were a child, then you get in for $19. <laughs> Hello, but if you have a, I'm a child. More no, right this way, sir. <laughs> what is that with inflation, Luke? I can see your mind whirling. Uh, clack, clack. My brain's whirling and I'm... <laughs> Do you now have to put it in a website and it's really frustrating? Uh, and yes. it's usually in US dollars as well. <laughs> it's like... <laughs> <laughs> calculator's not working. Oh, no. <laughs> two, two... Hey, uh, uh, hold on. My brain calculate. Oh, that's about $56.80. That's a lot more than I thought it would actually be. I thought it and, would uh, be. And guess, guess how much guess how much a day at Movie World is nowadays? Oh, how much? You got to guess. 89. Did you know that? Because that's exactly <laughs> right. <laughs> I, it hasn't changed in a while. Yeah. I remember that from the last time I was there. I was like, oh, $89. That's a lot. And Considering guess how the- much it is for, for 12 months entry to Movie World and three other theme parks? $259. $169 if you're a local. What is it if you're not? Uh, doesn't say for some reason on this website. <laughs> oh, no, $245. Oh, Ooh, but, I was close. But- 
So, Dom, here's one. We don't usually talk about this, but so single day pass, $89. Mm. Okay. Now, how much would you pay for a fast track? So, all day you get to cut the lines for six hours on these rides. DC Rivals, Superman, Green Lantern, Justice League, Scooby-Doo, Roadrunner, and Wild West Falls. So, what's that? Seven rides. You get to skip the lines all day. For six hours. Guess how much that costs. Remember, it's $89 to get in for the day. Let me guess it's more. It's more than the entrance to the park. It's like 120 bucks. No, it's it's more than double the entrance of the park. What? It's how much 199 is- Australian dollars to skip the lines on seven Ew. rides all for six hours. Yuck. See, I... You want to pay? That's thirty, about thirty-five dollars per hour, on top <laughs> of what you've paid to get into the park. Wait, so if you and the other thing as well that you need to factor in there, that's only for one person. If you have yep. a family, that's like eight hundred bucks for a nuclear family. Oh, but Dom, but Dom, guess how much the backstage tour is that comes with a park ticket and food. End the front of the line queuing. You also get VIP seating, a Hollywood stunt driver. You get to start your day walking, you know, around the attractions before they open in areas that guests can't access. Remember, to buy a park ticket is $89. Yeah. To buy this express pass is $199, which is $288. Guess how much it is for the Star Tour? Access all areas. $299? Yeah, so t- ten dollars more. <laughs> well, you may as well just do that. Exactly. You get a VIP tour, and you get to see. Oh, but then you have to you have to see Hollywood stunt driver too. <laughs> so oh, that takes that's out that's of the bag. They, <laughs> <laughs> they like force you to watch it in the VIP seat. <laughs> no, it's like please. <laughs> I will pay you a hundred dollars more not to see it again. I feel really bad because I know that there are people who work really hard on that, but the show just does not interest me. And it's like the stunts, you can tell that the Australian safety regulation has walked in there and gone, now no funny business, boys and girls. (laughs) So the stunts are literally just also no fun, apparently. Just no fun, (laughs) full stop. No fun (laughs) tricks. I remember we went to the Gold Coast together and- you were like, I. you wanted to see Hollywood Stunt Driver. And I was like, no, I do not want to see Hollywood Stunt Driver because I had only gone to the park a couple months earlier with someone who also wanted to see Hollywood Stunt <laughs> Driver. And you were like, no, I want to see it. I want to remember what it's like. So we sit down. I forgot, I forgot what it was like. I forgot how bad it was, shall we say. <laughs> As we were leaving, you just turned to me and said, yeah, we shouldn't have done that. <laughs> That was a waste of half an hour. And look, I respect that it's there. I think it would be much worse if it wasn't there. And I think a lot of people have a lot of fun with it. But for me, it's just, it's not. Doesn't do anything for me. Yeah. Especially like we've both been lucky enough to see the show that it shamelessly ripped off. Yeah. Lights, motors, action, which is full of lights, motors and action where this would be the equivalent <laughs> of a switched off light, the trike from before at the drive-in and the action being some chubby guy falling over as a, and a pratfall <laughs> sound effect goes. That's no. their lights camera action. No, it's not the comparison. That is 
what happened. <laughs> that it's is just a chubby guy <laughs> falling over. Well, look, so slide whistle play. Whoop, but that sort much. of that's that's later on in movie world oh, history. We'll we need that. to talk about that. Would be a whole episode ragging on Hollywood stunt driver two. Look, we're almost an hour in, and we've currently only talked about. Uh, <laughs> You know, leading up to Movie World, so I will not be surprised if this gets thrown into a Hong Kong Disneyland, uh, multiple <laughs> <Special>. categories. <laughs> well, should we have a quick little break and we'll come back and talk about what was there on opening day? Because it wasn't Hollywood Sun Driver 2. Sure. And we are back. So, parks open. It's now we're just jumping to 1995 because we don't have a map from opening, but we want to talk a little bit about what it was like in 1995. And then maybe we can do another episode which talks a bit more about the history going further because mm. there is a lot that happens. There is a huge well, the amount. the interesting thing that kind of happens is the attractions we're going to talk about now, none of them exist anymore, pretty much. Yeah. It's, but it's- most of them have only really been replaced by one thing. Mm. Like I can think of a couple that, you know, there's this the thing that's currently there might be the third thing in the space. But very few have had a huge history. There's kind of, this is what the park opened with, and then this is what they've added. So it makes sense to split those up into two episodes. That's the crazy thing about this park is that when you look into it, some of the attractions were only around for a couple of years, and then they're just mm. like, bye. Even though You're like done. a lot of them were considered and rated really highly, and then mm. they would just sort of change them. Because they wanted to. It's really odd. It's They hmm. weren't necessarily constrained to space. Yeah. But they kind of were at the same Still time. Still quite small, yeah. So, let's let's walk through the gates. We've just walked under the famous Warner Brothers movie world arches. And, ooh, there's, there's the Warner Brothers logo we've got in our picture. <laughs> you walk in and you're... Essentially, you go straight into a hub. Now, crazy thing is, before you even hit Main Street, there's an attraction like... Right to your left. Yeah. So, we'll put this picture up on Twitter so that you can look at this sort of map from 1995. But to your left is Batman Adventure The Ride. Now, this is pretty cool. I've, I've sort of now, only looked in- This didn't actually open with the park, though. This no, was it didn't. a second year attraction, but it'll show you how little there was. So, we'll talk about this stage as kind of the first few years. So, the map we currently have access to is from 1995. It's the earliest we could find- online mm. there's unfortunately this park has a little bit of the history out there but nothing like most of the u.s parks have unfortunately of people yeah. i'm sure there'd be people out there who you know hidden in a box in their garage have maps from opening day but there's not a ton of it shared online so the map we're going to be talking mostly about is 1995 so four years after the park opens nothing major closed in that time really though this is also one of those cool uh, maps where it's sort of taken from an isotropic angle. It's sort of like if you're in a helicopter above and it's hand painted. I love these mm. sort of maps. I hate the new CGI style maps that parks yeah. are bringing out, which I don't get because I'm like, surely someone knows that they're bad, but maybe mm. it's too expensive to yeah, you know, recommission know. someone to do these paintings or to do the drawings. Like, I love the hand-drawn maps. They're my favourite mm. to just sit down and look at all of the intricate details. Yeah, I don't like the new style, like the Google Maps style as well that Disney's done recently and stuff like yeah. that. They're just not as magical in my eyes. 
No. One of my favorite things was getting the map and just like, mm. you know, seeing what they include and all the yeah. little hidden secrets that they have in there. Like when you hand draw it, you can really sort of see the the dedication that the artist has put into it. When it's CGI, it's it's just a map. Like, it doesn't add to the experience at all. But as you walk in, you've got a couple of attractions right here. So, you've got, to your left, you've got the Batman Adventure, the ride. You've also got the studio tour sort of directly in front of you. So, this park opened mm. with the studio tour that would take you around and show it you. Did. Yeah. It's it, a studio it, theme park. It's a studio park. was a real studio tour, not a fake one made with, you know, it had some fake parts, of course, mm. but not in the same way that... Everything was fake on the Paris one. Now, the other interesting thing as well is that, like, this is the initial design that the park opened with. So, you then go to the right and you're walking down Main Street. Now, instead of doing, you know, a normal sort of you walk in, you're immediately on Main Street and Main Street just sort of goes in a straight direction. This is how almost all movie world style parks have opened like movie world madrid and all that they all have this same sort of you walk in and then you have to go to the right yeah and like then take a, a left dog leg almost you have yeah to take. because it it then branches out at the end of main street in two different directions but it's like why why wasn't that just done in sort yeah. of like a a regular t-bone but i'm i'm not sure i didn't design the park did you yeah. design the park luke no, unfortunately. I, wow. I guess it's a... Yeah, it feels like, you know, maybe they should have shifted the entrance of the park to the right a bit. So, Main yeah. Street could have been straight. It's very strange, but it's the way it's always been, I guess. Yeah, it's just one of those things that when you go yeah. to this park... Uh, what are you doing, CV will... Wood? You didn't have a dog leg at the start of Mainstream USA, so why you put it here? <laughs> Well, there's a reason why Walt was in charge and I bet yeah. C.V. Wood was like, no, this you have to. This is what the to- master planner does. No <laughs> hub and spoke, that's for sure. It, it's also one of those things where this shows how obscenely small this park is. Like this park would probably be about the size of two lands at Disney, yeah. maybe even one. Like it'd be about the size of Main Street and- In the bigger parks, I would say. Like in a, a Magic Kingdom style park. Probably the walk from the turnstiles to the castle is probably the walk from the front of the to the back of the park here. Yeah, it's small. And if you look it up on Google Maps, it, it's still small, but it opened yeah. especially small. Um, as you go down Main Street, there's a lot of inspiration here on different attractions. But wait, we didn't talk about Batman the Ride. Oh, yeah. Talk- I have like two memories of as a kid. Uh one that there was a Batman animatronic, which was kind of cool. And one that it was kind of like Star Tours. Like, that was this type of ride almost, but it was like a moving theater, I believe, instead of a, like, the vehicle itself moved a lot. Yeah, it's it's a motion simulator. Um, yeah. So, it was, you know, more traditionally like your Star Tours and all of that. But it was... <laughs> Sorry, Bless I sneezed. You. Um, <laughs> this is quite an interesting attraction because it was in like this gothic style building. It looked like you were going it into was Wayne, Wayne Manor, Manor, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And you would walk in for a tour and then they would like open a book sh- bookcase and you'd go into the pre-show and you're in like the back cave and all of that. Mm. It was, it was pretty cool in that sense. I don't remember much of this attraction. I've seen sort of some promo shots of it. I believe I've written it, but I can't remember it. 
Similar I think to- I rode um, there was the sequel. Mm. Because it was Batman Adventure The Ride 2. Yeah, it was literally called Batman Adventure The Ride 2. Which yeah. <laughs> is like, okay. Because it was Why based not, on you know, Batman. The Tim, the Tim Burton Batman films, the first one. And then the second one came out um, when the new, like the newer film, like the most recent film or something. I'm not sure. Have you like had they the weird thing? Not that long after, I think. Have you heard the weird thing where it's like McDonald's ruined Batman? Did they want to make it like PG or like Happy Meal toys or something? Yeah. So what happened was apparently it was shortly after um, the second Tim Burton film came out. They wanted to sort of expand the Batman brand. And so the studio making the, um, the films, they went to mcdonald's and they said yeah let's do a mchappy meal sort of thing hmm. and they're like yeah sure let's let's do something but yeah the batman films are a bit gross you've got penguin walking around with this black stuff coming out of his mouth and all this so they ended up sacking tim burton and uh, bringing yeah, on that's how we got batman and robin yeah that's the real how cartoony we... um, yeah it was it was weird but yeah. it was a lot of people attribute it because McDonald's were like, no, we can't sell toys around yeah. these characters. We need it all to be sort of very much like very camp. Yeah, bat nipples hmm. and all that. So, um, <laughs> and there's more to that story. But I'm sure if you Google up McDonald's ruined Batman, there'd be a story out there. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'll talk a little bit about what was in Main Street. So, Main Street featured a couple of replicas of buildings and had uh, facades from various Warner films. So, they had Rick's Cafe, American from Casablanca, the the Bank Robbed from Bonnie and Clyde, and Daily Planet building from Superman. So, the actual building right at the end of the street was the Daily Planet. It then had lots of- And it it really is like, you know, when you- you walk into Rick's Cafe Americaine. It's it's just like walking into Casablanca with oh, yeah. the pizza and pasta buffet that that film was so famous for. <laughs> well, you know, when he's like, he is looking at you, kid. Or am I thinking? He was actually different- looking past her and he was looking at a nice pepperoni pizza that was coming straight out of the <laughs> oven. He was like, he is looking at you, kid. I'm coming was- to eat you soon. Was that Casablanca, or was it, frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn. <laughs> what was that uh, from? He's looking at you, kid, is, because okay. I remember it from the great movie ride part. <laughs> <laughs> what was, frankly, my dear, I don't give a Might damn? Might be the same movie. Uh, I think it was from uh, Gone with the Wind. Oh, frankly, this my dear. Is old, it's an old black and white film. They're all the same to us. It was... Probably a wow. four-hour film. It wasn't even black and white. Gosh. Casablanca was. That's one. Oh, that's true. Well, <laughs> this one came out in 1939, and apparently it was a response to, where shall I go? What shall I do? Frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn. <laughs> Which would have been like, you know, if someone <gasps> said the word toilet back in those there days. There would have been people like, <gasps> fainting in the cinema, let's be honest, because that is rude language for the time. Was this back in the day where everyone would just faint? You know how, like, Probably, you, yeah. like you read in history where it's like, 
oh, this thing happened. And then the, and the royal person just fainted. Yeah. And it's like everyone was just fainting. And there's actually a scientific reason for that. This is a bit of a tangent. But apparently when they would use oh, like a science the white- podcast now too. <laughs> Geography, <laughs> demographics, science. You get everything out of this. <laughs> apparently back in the day- when you would like have the white makeup on your face to make you really pale, then you would put your mole on your face, mm. which also represented the aristocrats. like- Yeah, the aristocrats. Uh, the white sort of makeup had a lot of mercury and chemicals in it, like mercury hmm. dust. And apparently that caused people to become just like really frail. And it was that thing, if anything happened, if they were to like become exasperated at all, they'd just faint. So hmm. that's why everyone was just like, oh, and then they just fall over. And they it did was also all of that just so, you know, a hundred years later, Gilbert Gottfried could make a, a really risque joke about them. What? Oh, <laughs> have you never heard the story of the aristocrats? No. It's like the most crude joke of all time that would be made. And it was like a thing where comedians would try to one up each other by making it more shocking than the last. So it'd be, you know, this family came around to my house and then five minutes of them doing the most disgusting things. And then the punchline was just like, and their family name, the aristocrats. <laughs> and it was like a thing in what? like uh, California comedy clubs in the 80s. And then some, the next comedian the next week would try to make it even cruder <laughs> with the exact same punchline that, hey, it's funny because they should be, oh, pompous, but instead they're doing these disgusting things. It sounds like one of those really dumb inside jokes that yeah. everyone who's in on it finds really funny. And then yeah, you and find funny because like, they okay. find it funny. Was that like, worth oh. 15 minutes of build up? <laughs> Probably not. <laughs> Or it's a thing where everyone, like, the funniness comes from just knowing what comes next. They're like, oh, yeah. he's going to say The build-up's coming and he keeps going saying something more disgusting. You're like, oh. And their name, the Aristocrats. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, what a good segue. Actually, if you look up on iTunes reviews for this show, um, there's literally one where it's like Luke and Dom go on lots of tangents, but they're usually really interesting and nice. <laughs> like, oh, the guy he makes an edit to his review. He's like, I stand by that. Apart from the aristocrats, that's too far. <laughs> anyway, so Movie World open, and what was their name? The aristocrats. The aristocrats. Thank you for joining Review Times. We're going to ruin podcast. our voices trying to do. We'll never do a podcast again if we try too hard to do a Gilbert Gottfried voice. Luke, we're like an hour and ten minutes in, and we've only just gone <laughs> Main Street. They go on a lot of tangents. <laughs> Let's say that. Shout out I, to that guy who picked up on it. But have you? That's a, that's a podcast. Let's be honest here. That's oh, a podcast. That's, if you want concise theme park history, go to youtube.com slash review time. If you want Dom and Check Luke, out if you haven't heard of it, just talk about theme parks loosely for an hour and a half. <laughs> you're in the right place. If you've gotten this far in and you're only just sort of deciding, uh, thank you. I, I wonder what the. I, Somebody who loves maths and review time, do the do the calculations, you know? What's the lowest percentage of an episode we've actually talked about the titular thing? Because I was Look, listening to an episode of Podcast The Ride yesterday. 
and I reckon it would have been about 5% they actually talked about <laughs> the thing that the episode was about. Oh, uh, also, we haven't done our weekly shout out to oh, uh, the, Disney, the Disney dish from Jim Hill. Well, look, I think I think we do come up with a lot of interesting things. Like, I didn't I know a lot so. of this stuff about how sort of, you know, uh, it started as a film studio from a completely different company. And then worked its way over. Like, there's, you know, there's we didn't know C.V. In Wood was involved. You didn't know that when it opened, it was only a handful of attractions. You didn't know that the aristocrats would wipe their bums on the carpet and wear it as a hat. <laughs> You've learned a lot of things today. And their name, the <laughs> aristocrats. <laughs> I, I will just, I'll throw down another fact if everyone's like, ooh, oh, it hasn't been geez. a fact for a while. Village should hope to tap into a market with American and Japanese customers because the attractions were essentially like, it, they advertised it as being the first movie-based theme park built outside of the United States and the first American-style theme park since Tokyo Disneyland. Which is and so what they did the most Australian thing. To be like, oh, this is, you know, the first movie-based theme park. Americans. Built outside the United States. This is the first American-style theme park in the world. Since Tokyo Disneyland. <laughs> it's like, if you look up the ad for DC Rivals Hypercoaster. <laughs> the world's greatest, fastest, longest. It's like the world's longest, fastest, most advanced roller coaster. And I'm just sitting there going, you can't say that. It's just flat out wrong. But it's mm. part of their advertising campaign. <laughs> I'm, I'm still, I don't have an answer for that. I want to talk to someone who it's like, why did you say this when it's wrong? It's okay if you just want to be like, oh, it's the fastest tallest most advanced roller coaster in yes, australia it, it <laughs> could even be the southern hemisphere mm. why did they say the world <laughs> i'm le legitimately look it up it's it's just right there it's, it's absurd, on youtube yeah it is it's, absurd it's as if the voiceover artist just said it and they're like let's just keep go it with it <laughs> no <laughs> just, one will just check us there's no way they could just search it online or something but because it, they were sort of aiming for these American and Japanese customers, they actually ended up subtitling a lot of the attractions and the tour guides were trained in Japanese, which is pretty huh. crazy. So yeah. they were really which hoping I think nowadays they've kind of gone down that path, but with more like I would say something like Paradise Country is now more aimed at international tourists. Yeah. Which is kind so of behind Movie World and, you know, that's where they've got koalas and kangaroos and stuff like that they the say it's a theme park it's yeah. not a theme park <laughs> no it's basically a, a real small zoo paradise country <laughs> is like it, when you buy a season pass to village roadshow theme parks you get wet and wild sea world movie world and you also get paradise country for those that don't know paradise country is basically like a, a farm across like a zoo it's just got like <laughs> animals and shows mm. It's really designed to sort of reap in uh, on the benefits of international tourism. I've never been there. Yeah. In in all of my time of owning a season pass, maybe we should go one day. We'll do a review and be like, mm. what even is this? Why why haven't we done that? <laughs> I, I don't think know. <laughs> we're usually not there for enough time, I think. Like, we're usually only there for three or four days and it's 
a lot easier to say, well, I'll do a day at Movie World, Dream World, and Sea World. Yeah, true. That, yeah, that makes sense. We yeah. barely do Wet and Wild. We haven't done Wet and Wild in a very long yeah, time. Yeah, a long time. We also don't go because we don't film in water parks. Like, if you look yep. at our channel, we do not do water parks because it's creepy. Like, it's we're, yeah. we're two nearing 30-year-old guys. Uh, <laughs> and We don't want to walk around a water park where people are wearing bikinis and people are sort of wearing things that are, you know, you don't want someone taking pictures of that. Yeah. And to ha- then have someone walking around with camera gear filming people, it's weird. So, yeah. we did reach out once to a water park and they said yes. And we were going to have all of these precautions. Like, we we're going to get, like, A-frames and stuff and be like, review yeah. time is filming in He's the park. Go today. to reviewtime.com slash filming to yeah. see what they're about and all of this. And that would then have a form in there where you could say, I don't want to be included. Or, you know, you could track us down. We're going to have like media vests and all of that. Yeah. Because we're like, we just don't want to be creepers. Yeah. It's <laughs> so, too difficult. <laughs> like, so, water parks will never happen on review time. No. Uh, until maybe we could get a host who's not two 30-year-old, one <laughs> balding man. <laughs> it's just we're too oh, self-aware. Oh, we th- it, okay, we'll make you a promise. If we visit and review every theme park in the entire world, then we'll review some water parks as well. That means there, we have to go to a promise Uganda. <laughs> that means... <laughs> what was that? The world's most dangerous theme park somewhere in the world? And it was just like incident, 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 incident. You uh, survive that? Then you deserve a water park review. We deserve a water park day. You know those discus rides where it's like the sort of you've got the disc on a stick and it swings back and forth like like a a pendulum. pendulum. That one where it's like swinging back and forth and then the disc part just just falls off. Yeah. And And there's one where the same ride, it just like snaps. Like the bar that's holding the disc just goes, I'm done. (laughs) Crazy. Shouldn't laugh. It's just wild. Yeah. Um, so, you've then also got the- We've hit the end of Main Street. Yeah. And we've got, like, two other attractions to see. This <laughs> almost We've got a few. And at the end of Main Street, though, is possibly my favourite theme park show of all time. Mm. The Police Academy Stunt Show. Yeah. And I've, I'm not saying this is the best Australian theme park show. I'm not saying, you know, oh, for Australia, this is pretty good. In my opinion, this is the best theme park show I've ever seen. Oh, it's 100%. a twenty-minute stunt show. But no, it's no, no. Not in the Police Academy is an hour long. No, Police Academy wasn't an hour. It's an hour long. Not when I've seen. I don't think it was. Well, when it first opened, it was. Maybe not the one I've seen. You can only do slapstick for so long, surely. Let me. Okay, I can okay, hear you we- both typing. <laughs> <laughs> Starting in 1991, it was the most popular show in the theme park until its closure in 2008. Does it have a runtime? It doesn't. Wait, Police Maybe Academy I stunt think show. This is probably what's being counted. Mad Mike at the start of the show. Uh, the warm-up guy. Maybe like the war. Like if you count him, which he is a pivotal. A pivotal part of the show, in my opinion, he was hilarious. True, this was a uh, a mime performer who would have a whistle, and that was like 
it, but he would, you know, tickle people or spray water. And it was the classic, you know, ragging on people who were showing up to the show by walking behind <laughs> them. Like the the basic stuff. But he was so good at it and he was part of the show. Like, I don't think I ever saw anyone else do the warm up. Every time I saw the show, it was always him. I don't know if he works seven days a week or he just happened to be there every time I saw the show. And he was worth getting to the show early for. Just like, to experience. He was entertaining enough to watch. And then so he did his thing for 30 minutes or whatever it was. And then the show itself started. And it was the ultimate like slapstick, but still impressive stunts. And it wasn't like, you know, just a car stunt or just some falls or just that. It was a great like variety of stunts mixed with some really cool special effects and it wasn't the new age version of, hey, guys, I'm a director and we're shooting a movie here today. So we don't <laughs> need to actually have a story. Police Academy Stunt Show had a 30 minute story that followed it through, including one of possibly the greatest fake audience actor moments of all time, where they get the Rodney character who's this guy wearing this loud Hawaiian shirt and they're pulling all these people from the audience and you think he's like an audience member, they're ragging on him, stuff like this. And then the second half of the show is pretty much all about him because he like falls off a roof, he gets shot out of a cannon onto a roof. (laughs) Doesn't he go into Um, a building and then they explode the building? Yeah, they put the TNT in the building and the building explodes and like fires him out of it onto the roof. (laughs) Um, And there's, you know, a helicopter that explodes. There's like this car that, this huge car that explodes and does like a backflip and lands the other way. There's stunts where they're falling from roofs. There's, you know, all these effects and stunts in a single show. It's impressive, and it was absolutely hilarious as well. Can I just point out something that I did not know, and I would be surprised if you knew this. Police Academy stunt show was at Six Flags Magic Mountain different for, show. like, three months. Different yeah, so show? a different show. Um, same idea, but it wasn't the same show because I have se- actually seen a video of that show. Uh, okay, because I know there was also the version at Warner Brothers Movie World Germany, which was basically which is, the exact same thing. still kind of there, but it's, it's just now, now called, called like, Crazy Cops. And uh, it's, it's not called Crazy Action same. Stunt Show. <laughs> Uh-oh. Um, um, not the exact same show, similar set, but... It's still at Park Warner Madrid, I believe, from what I can see mm-hmm. here. I think that might be crazy cops then maybe then. No, I'm fairly certain it's still, it, it doesn't clack, have clack, a closing date. Yeah. <laughs> We're doing is, a, a, when can a, we go to Madrid? When can uh, we get on the plane and go to Madrid? When, when we get the vaccine in eight and Where's a half Madrid? years. Where's Madrid? It's in Spain, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, what else is in Spain? Something. Y- yes. Wait, there are <laughs> Hollywood Boulevard. There are no attractions in this area. This is an entrance area. <laughs> That's what the Wikipedia page says. Uh, it's random. Uh, no, yeah. So it's called uh, Loca Academia di Polisa. Ooh, Loca. Do you want to go see Loca Academia di Polisa? Yes. <laughs> 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 yeah. 
I try to look for a video of Loka Academy because it's not the same show. Do you want to know like, something? It's a very different set. The set kind of looks more like. Wait a second. Hold up. I just saw a, a truck do a wheelie oh. watching this video. Can I just so quickly it, say it something? It looks like a more. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Parks Renudos, who who run Raging Waters Sydney. Parkes Renidas. As I watched a video so I could pronounce it right for one of my recent videos. <laughs> well, you Google how to pronounce something. It's like Parkes Reunidos. Yeah. They have the Warner Brothers license for theme parks in certain countries. Huh. So there's hope it- that we could get a movie world in Sydney. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm sure they'll let that happen, the GC parks. But uh, yeah, that. That, in my opinion, is one of the greatest uh, stunt shows in the world. The park actually opened with two stunt shows randomly. It had yeah. a, a Wild Wild West stunt show, which didn't last for that long. Uh, very similar to the Hollywood Universal Studios one that was also at Universal Orlando, that was also at Universal Japan. We're cowboys. Pew, pew, shoot, <laughs> shoot, fall off roofs, and a horse might drag you. Uh, but then they enclosed that theater and put on the same set... An illusion show based off the film Maverick. Yeah. Because that's logical. (laughs) It's a bit odd. Uh, Can I just say this park opened with only two actual rides. Yeah. So we'll we'll probably wrap it up soon because we've still got three. Batman the Ride. No, no, it didn't open with Batman the Ride. Oh, that's right. Batman the Ride opened tour? in 1992. So, what about well, the Looney studio tour? tour I wouldn't include as a ride. It's an experience. No, no, no. The Looney... The, what about the Looney Tunes studio tour? Oh, yeah. So, that's that was... There's the two attractions, the, which is Gremlins, yeah. and then there's... No, no, Dom, please. Can you, can you get the name right? Oh, sorry. Uh, the Warner Brothers Classics and Great Gremlins Adventure Interactive Darkra. Because and I, this was a cool ride. I liked this as a kid. I liked this. Idea I remember was, this. The ride was actually like the Warner Brothers classics. And you would go into a cinema and they'd be like, ladies and gentlemen, welcome. We're here to show you the classics of Warner Brothers. And it'd have this thing and the movie would start. But then the gremlins take over the movie. And then it becomes this, you know, you get try to escape from the gremlins, essentially. Yeah, and you would, like, go through... This was a really cool concept. So, I remember this attraction quite well. Yeah. It, as you were saying, you go into this cinema, you see in this pre-show where it's like, look at all these classics. And then the gremlins are, like, they're doing, like, hand puppets and stuff. I remember mm. there's one where they make a dog and they're like, bark, bark. Um, but then what <laughs> happens is to get out, they're like, okay, you guys have to go through the back lot to get out. And the gremlins yeah. have like taken over the entire sort of, you know, your, your uh, props. They've taken over costuming. They've taken over all of these different departments of movie world. Really cool idea to yeah. integrate that. Uh, Alf was and in this ride video, for some reason. Watched, I think there's the video that's out there, the one that I've seen has, like, the most Aussie woman ever. She's like, oh, no, everyone, the gremlins have attacked movie world. 
We've got to like, get you out of here. I think I've seen that where she like runs in. The video yeah. starts just as they finish sort of modifying the um, the movie. Mm. She's like, all righty, guys, I need you to just follow me. We <laughs> got to get the bloody uh, gremlins. <laughs> you said before, Alf. So for some reason, Alf was in the Germany version of the ride and the Australian version had Beetlejuice, which is much oh. cooler because- why the hell would Alf be in this ride? He's a TV show character. Yeah, it doesn't really make sense. I just yeah. remember seeing a picture of Alf. Um, I didn't yeah, realize that the, there was another version. Was yeah, it Germany um, version? I would say this, this is probably the peak ride of the park when it opened. Mm. And then the secondary one would be the Looney Tunes Studio Tour, which is more of, well, both of these are family rides. But I would say Looney Tunes was... The one for the whole family. Yeah. Do you remember much about this ride? So, basically, it was a dark ride that went through water and it was kind of like a small log flume. So, yeah. it, it it's hard to say that it had like a big drop. I do remember there was a drop. And There's I remember- a drop. Yeah, as a kid being a little bit freaked out by this attraction because mm. it was very dark. Like when they say dark ride, it was a very dark ride. It's but funny, it's basically- I always remember the first part of the film, you would like go in, uh, sorry, of the ride, and there was like a Bugs Bunny and that in the pre-show. And then you got onto like a giant drilling machine mm. that drilled through Australia and took you into Hollywood, like where they filmed the Looney Tunes cartoons. Yeah. The pre-show, yeah. And it's sort of going through their studio and there was like an interactive sort of section at the start where it was a person actually sort of interacting with these animatronics. Super rudimentary animatronics. Like, they were not advanced in any way whatsoever. But for an Australian theme park, like, straight out of the gate with no experience whatsoever, these were like Gremlins and uh, the... Warner Brothers, uh, sorry, the Looney Tunes River Ride, they possibly had to be some of the best attractions during the actual tenure of the entire theme park. Even oh, though yeah, the theme park's sure. still open. Like, it is sad <laughs> today that there aren't too many dark rides. There's one, but it's an interactive shooter attraction, which I don't necessarily consider a dark ride because yeah, it's no. you're more focused on shooting things than actually paying attention to the story or mm-hmm. anything like that. So I feel like, yeah. You know, and it doesn't really stand alone enough. To just set the guns down and not do that. Yeah. Which some shooters... I would say a ride like Men in Black Alien Attack at Universal Orlando. I know you haven't ridden it, but I would say that ride is strong enough on its own that it doesn't need the gimmick of being interactive. Where this one does. That's that's the problem. Mm. They bring in the shooter element because they're worried that people essentially won't pay attention they don't trust people to sort of sit down and focus on something for an extended period of time yeah the only other attraction in the park on opening was roxy theater which just screened 3d films oh is there yeah you've forgotten the the young einstein gravity homestead oh which was essentially an old school trick house you know where your house is like built on a weird angle so, when you oh, walk yeah. through, it looks like balls are rolling up hills and stuff like that. <laughs> um, that's where oh. the intensity dodgem cars are today. Uh, okay. Uh, and and then also- that became like a Harry Potter ride. Then it became like a mate, uh, not a ride, a walkthrough. Then a Matrix walkthrough. I think there was a no, Pokemon walkthrough. We'll at talk one point. about that in another podcast. Oh, I'm a spoiler. 
don't give out spoilers. We've got content to make, Luke. Jeez. Uh, and there's also the Looney Tunes musical review. So that was a live show. I don't know anything about this. Do you know much about this? Um, I believe it was on a stage that was connected to the studio tour. Um, like mm. the, that building. It was near there. Oh, if you look at the um, map, it's like it the became, big tent. Yeah. When like Maverick Grand Illusions finished, it got moved into that theatre. So I think I saw the show uh. when it was in that theatre when I was younger. Yeah, because now the plot of land is used for uh, that little Road junior Runner? roller coaster. Roadrunner. Roadrunner yep. roller coaster. So we've still got a fair bit to talk about Movie World. But I'm thinking like we've got almost two decades worth of attractions to talk about. Yeah. I think but this is a good point to. Uh, yeah, yeah that's- that, we even talked about Batman the Ride, which it didn't open with. Uh, that opened studio a year tour later. Was a studio tour. The only thing I've ever seen from the studio tour is a video of the Riddler's lair, but like the Jim Carrey Riddler, and he would like oh. do a dance. Didn't open with that because that movie, I don't think, was around <laughs> that period. But that's like the only footage of that ride e- that exists. So that's all I know about it. That's probably why we didn't talk about it. And then there was like oh. a special <laughs> effects show at the end, which of course yeah. there was because it was a movie studio theme park. And there was probably a zombie animatronic who chased after people, which is the <laughs> coolest part of the Universal a special effect oh, yeah, show. like big werewolf where they're like, okay, this is a brain-controlled robot. Move your arm. Mm. And then it like follows and then like, it jumps out and scares them and everyone laughs at them. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that's a good po- uh, point to stop for now. And then next week we can come back in and you can be the host of the last two decades of Movie World. Uh, and we'll also be talking, of course, about geography, history, computer science, and all of the other things you've known to expect from the Tangent Podcast. (laughs) Well, if you have any other subjects that you'd like us to talk about, including social sciences, be sure to get in contact with myself at ReviewTimeDom on Twitter. I'm at ReviewTimeLuke on Twitter. And what subject would you like people to get in contact with you about? Um... If you could get in touch with me about the American industrialization of the 1830s, that would be great. Thank you. Ooh, good one. I reckon we can squeeze that one into next week's episode. Yeah, I reckon so too. <laughs> there was a solid period in this one where we were just going through uh, Wikipedia pages and pointing out neat facts. <laughs> how, how many minutes do you have cut out of clacking when I've edited this week's show? Ah, uh, well, look, I'll just say good luck. You can reach both of us at time review on twitter and review time pretty much anywhere else that concludes this week's episode of review times theme podcast we will be back this uh, around the same time next week see ya Review Time's theme podcast is brought to you by Luke Carroll and Dominic Lacey. A big shout-out goes to our newest patron, Kelsia Cannon, and longtime patron, Jane McRoberts. And to you, the listener. Review Time's theme podcast will be back next week.